Blog Talk Radio. And a good evening to you, Mets fans. Welcome to the Happy Recap Radio Show here on this Sunday night. You got your host, EJ, along with you. Ryan is off on one of his uh, walkabouts where he, he goes into the superstitious mode where he feels like his presence on the show may somehow hurt the team. So uh, he, he's kind of just roaming the earth as he would. And uh, JB, as anyone who follows his social media, he is at a uh, one of his Comic-Cons that he tends to enjoy uh, attending frequently with his wife and daughter. And if you uh, follow him on Facebook, you, you know that he likes to also post a lot of pictures that makes everybody insanely jealous because he, he meets a lot of really cool stars. And for geeks like himself and I, it's uh, it's pretty cool to see some of the folks he's met. John Cusack this week for, for JB, which was kind of an odd one, but so uh, he, he's down there in Dallas having fun. So what do we do at that point? Do we, do we call it? Do we say, no, no show this week? Of course not. You've got a week where there's so much to talk about in Mets land, from injuries to Matt Harvey to potential lineups, everything that's going on. So we decided this would be the perfect week to complete our little uh, mashup, if you will, of, of our home-and-home home series with uh, the gang over at Amazing Avenue. And we brought in the co-host of that podcast, Chris, who joins us now. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Oh, absolutely. Glad to do it. Really a big fan of what you guys are doing over there. And uh, just give our, our listeners a little bit of your background. How'd you become a Mets fan and how'd you, uh, how'd you get into the, the whole podcasting business with Amazing Avenue? So starting with how I became a Mets fan, uh, I was born in 84. My first major league game that I attended was in 1989. It was a Mets win over the Dodgers, 5-3. I think it was May. I should know the date by heart. But uh can't recollect it exactly right now. But Dwight Gooden started. Daryl Strawberry hit a home run. You know, I was four and a half years old. I remember seeing the apple go up from the uh, mezzanine around first base, you know, maybe a little out towards right field. Um, I think that kind of clinched it for me. You know, a lot of my immediate family are Yankees fans, but we were out visiting my grandparents in Long Island and went to a game after going to the beach that day. And, you know, that, that pretty much did it. I think there was actually – wound up meeting strawberry of one of the many things that he's done. And, uh, you know, of course I, I couldn't help but tell him that that was what made me a Mets fan. And, you know, so that, that, that explains it all, I think to get started. <laughs> um, but then, uh, amazing Avenue. I've been writing since short of the 2010 season. I had done a little bit of other writing and stuff and Eric Simon and I had been in touch. Uh, and then, I, during the 2010 season, I just said, I'm just going to write things about the Mets. And, you know, he reached out and brought me on board. And, you know, over, over the years there, between writing, editing, and all that. Um, and then, obviously, Jeff Paternostro got our podcast really regularly going. It was something that we toyed with a little bit before that. But Jeff came in, uh, and he was doing all, our minor league editing, a lot of our minor league writing, you know, attending games regularly. Um, really doing great stuff, and he he got the podcast to the point that we were at, you know, we're we're at a, a episode 188, 89, something like that right now. 
Um, so once once he had that as a regular thing, I would join him sometimes as a co-host or, you know, fill in occasionally do interviews, that kind of stuff. So he's moved on to baseball perspective. Uh, but, you know, Brian Salvatore and I are sort of, Brian's our primary host and uh, putting the shows together. And then I'm, you know, I've been doing a co-hosting segment with him, similar to what you guys do, you know, just talking about what's going on with the Mets in that week. Uh, and then I've been, you know, adding on interviews with a variety of people, um, you know, mostly Mets, either Mets or just general baseball writers. That's all of that in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You, uh, you're kind of a glutton for punishment because we are, we're kind of polar opposites about when our fandom started. I'm a little bit of an older guy than you. And my fandom started in 85. Yeah, my first game also featuring uh, Doc Gooden on the mound. And that was actually what hooked me was uh, I was fortunate enough. My dad had me like, I think we were like 12th row just off uh, home plate. And the first time I heard the catcher's mitt snap on a Dwight fastball, it was like you had injected me with something. Uh, that was it. I was completely hooked. And, you know, that was 85. So as a new fan, I'm thinking, wow, this is a great team. The next year they win the World Series. And I'm sitting there at the time as a seven, eight-year-old kid going, this is great. I have a team that I root for, and they're going to win a whole lot in my lifetime. And here we sit. But at least I had those first couple of years uh, of some really good times, whereas you start in 89, we're heading into the 90s at that point. Those are some lean years in the early 90s. So credit to you for, for kind of sticking it out at that point and holding on to, to that fandom, especially heading into the mid-90s when, the, let's face it, the town was taken over by the, the team across the city. And then you start your, your basically your writing for uh, Amazing Avenue in 2010. I mean, talk about picking a lean time to start writing about the team. The next couple of seasons are just absolutely brutal. And yet you, you hang on, you hold out the hope, as Mets fans will, and here we sit today, now you cover a team that is arguably they've taken over the town and they have definitely put the Mets back in the national conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess 2010 was sort of a buy-low uh, opportunity, but <laughs> it, 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 it worked out. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I can enjoy, and maybe it comes from the, you know, the two decades in which the Mets were only good for, you know, a handful of seasons a couple of times, but I can enjoy individual games and, and seasons that are lost causes and all that. Uh, I, I like it a lot better now. That's for sure. But, uh, oh, absolutely. but yeah, yeah, they're definitely yeah, back always, in the national conversation. I always like asking when I'm getting to know new Mets fans, well, not new Mets fans, but new to me, because we haven't spoken really before. As a Mets fan, what do you have that one team that was your all-time favorite Mets team? Uh, I mean, last year, last year might have topped it because I got to go to a Mets World Series game for the first time awesome. in my life. But uh, the 2016 was probably still a little more like last last year. There, I have no complaints. You know, I mean, obviously, I would have preferred that they won the World Series, but um, you know, as, as seasons go, 2006 was just utter dominance from start to finish. So for a regular season. I, I kind of enjoyed that the most. That was the year I graduated college. I finally had, you know, a real job. I could go to games a little bit more often uh, when I, once I was off a of college budget. So, you know, I I got to go to a, a lot of games that year. I got to go to a bunch of the playoff games. Um, 
And, you know, even though that, that run didn't go as far, that was still it for me. Um, you know, I mean, you, you have Pete, Carlos Beltran, David Wright, and Jose Reyes on the same team was just incredible. But, you know, this, last year came close. I'm, I'm, I love good offense, but I'm more of a pitching guy myself. So these Mets, as they're constructed now, are probably a little more up my alley. But, but yeah, the, if they go and win the division again this year, then this year might be the year where, you know, we, we start the season with all of the young great pitchers in the rotation, you know, maybe get Wheeler back and see what else he can do. You know, that, that might sort of be up there for me. And then there's nothing against the late nineties teams. I thoroughly enjoyed them, but 2006 was still just sort of the, that's, that's my, that's my go-to. Yeah, 99 has always been mine. I, I am the late 90s guy just strictly because my, my hero is Keith Hernandez. And John Olerud was the closest I ever saw, both offensively and defensively, take first base for the Mets. And I was a huge fan of him, and I still contend to this day if he's on the team in 2000, the Mets are going to win that World Series. But that's for here or there. But uh, I, I get you on the 016 because the 016, you're right. That offense in the middle, when you have Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, and David Wright hitting like 2006 David Wright, that was a that was just a bulldozer of an offense to try to get through, and that that was a fun team to follow. And I agree with you where you said last year might have been it. We we spoke on the show JB and I at length that the current Mets team and last year's team this is the first time in a while that these guys are just really really easy to root for. Granted, you've got Harvey, who's been pegged as the diva or whatever you will, and we'll talk about Matt Harvey in a bit. But, I mean, you've got guys like Noah Syndergaard, who takes an incident like the plunking last week and the eject- or the non-plunking and the ejection and manages to turn it into a funny little quib on, uh, on Twitter. Just These guys seem to all genuinely get along with one another, and that may- just ultimately makes the team so likable. And then you've got characters like Cespedes, who's with the cars and the horse in spring training, it just feels like if that last year's team wasn't my favorite of all time, they're kind of like a one B just because they're such a likable group of dudes. Now, you know, and it's, it's fun. I mean, the, the stories of the 86 team and their shenanigans, uh, you know, that that's always going to be unique, but to have guys who are, you know, doing kind of quirky things along the way makes it more interesting for sure. Um, and I, you know, even Cespedes the night that he pinch hit that huge home run. And then by the time the press got into the locker room, he was already gone for the night. I thought that was like, <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Like he, he hadn't done anything. They scrambled to get him out on the field in time to pinch hit. Uh, you know, they find him, they get him out there. He hits a home run, gives him that to lead goes back in the locker room, showers, and he's gone before anybody even sees him. Like, I, just the, the ultimate stealth, just come in and, you know, hit a bomb and then get out of there before anybody gets to even talk to you. I, I thought that was hilarious. You know, it's funny. The, it really shows you where these guys are as far as the fans' minds goes. Because you're right, Cespedes does that and basically breaks Twitter with people just LOLing about how hilarious it is that he did that and how awesome it is, yet Matt Harvey takes a shelling two weeks ago, and he bounces before the reporters get a hand on him, and you would have thought the Twitterverse had pulled out the pitchforks, and they were ready to just tear Matt Harvey out of this town at that point for not daring to stand there and give the same six cliche answers he gives after any other shelling that he takes. 
Yeah, yeah, that that to me, um, you know, I I I certainly wasn't uh, annoyed with him over that or, or whatever, but it's you know, there, there's that contrast. You know, it's Cespedes did it in the, in a moment that he did something great, and Harvey, you know, hadn't quite turned things around yet at that point, and you know, I, I think ultimately. People, people would probably be getting on Cespedes if he weren't hitting like you know Mike Trout light since he's been a Met, which is a pretty high compliment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cespedes, we were all thrilled when we heard about the extension that he he had signed, but I don't think any of us expected him to be where he just remained so on fire. And granted, he's had a little dip here and there, but nothing substantial. He seems to fight his way out of it. Uh, hopefully the, the couple of days off really reignites him. But let's go back to Harvey for a second because we, we were talking about him personality-wise, but I think the most important factor of Matt Harvey is on the field, Matt Harvey. So he's had two nice starts in a row, seven innings, one run ball today. The, the fastball definitely looked lively. He looked like shades of Matt Harvey of old. Uh, he's definitely giving you that bulldog mentality that you've seen out of him in the past. So with two good starts under his belt, where are you at mentally as far as your comfort level with where Matt Harvey's at? I, I think I'm pretty much there. You know, it was it felt weird that it lasted as long as it did, that he was pitching with poor results. But, you know, the, if he hadn't shown anything along the way, I would have been more concerned when he had, like, the six-something ERA after ten starts. Um, but, you know, even the fact that he was – pitching in some of those games and looking like himself early and then fading, you know, that wasn't exactly encouraging, but there were, there were innings there. There was, there was stuff there that looked like him. Uh, and then it was just, you know, it, it wouldn't last an entire start or it would, but you know, the, the results were only so, so not dominant. Like we know he is capable of. So it didn't really take much, you know, to, today's start, certainly adds to the good body of work. Uh, but the previous start for me, I think was enough that I said like, Oh yeah, that's, that's Matt Harvey. You know, the, you didn't see as much of a drop off in velocity. The strikeouts were there. I know they weren't there as much today, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. And the way that he and DeGrom have looked recently, you know, combined with what Syndergaard and Matt have done from the start, uh, it, that is, it's really, really encouraging. Yeah, we've talked to a couple people on the show who have familiarity with pitchers who pitch pretty long into a season, as both those guys did last year. And all those guys to a man were saying, give it time. DeGrom and Harvey will be fine. They're going through a little period here and give it time. And if this is the case that these two starts are an indication that Matt Harvey is back, then I know I and a lot of people in the Mets Twitterverse need to basically say, my bad when it comes to Terry Collins, because after his start two starts ago or three starts ago, there was not a single person I that I'm friends with that thought Matt Harvey was making that start in Chicago. They thought for sure. They weren't even sure he was supposed to make the start before that start. So it was really the, the Strasburg start. People were wondering if he was going to get shelled for. So props to Terry and Dan Morgan, and I'm sure Sandy had a, had a say in it, for not putting Harvey on the bench or not making him do any type of rehab or not coming up with the phantom disabled list injury and just saying we got to let him pitch through it. If this is Matt Harvey's back, then Terry Collins, who we'll get on a little bit about some, some bullpen usage, 
he, he played this starting pitcher perfectly to get him back to where he needs to be. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I think I, I might have been one of the select few who, who was happy when they continued to leave him in the rotation. Um, you know, it, it was sort of a thing that the guy with that track record and, you know, to the extent that you don't want the guy up, whether it's ego or confidence, whatever, you know, however we want to phrase it, um, it just seemed like if anybody deserved a shot, to continue to work it out in the big leagues, it was him. You know, obviously he's not going to finish the season contending for the ERA title with Clayton Kershaw. You know, no, Syndergaard might. He is right now. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's – I'm glad it – I wish – too, but I'm glad that it looked like – it looks like it happened and – like you said, it, it you know they're looking like they made the right call, so that's that's always a plus. And yeah, the other story from today's game, and I think it's pretty much been the story of the Mets almost for two seasons now, is it was the best of times when we're in the field, and it's the worst of times when we're at the plate. Right now, the Mets are just to say they're struggling offensively is the biggest downplay ever. Now, granted, they're missing a lot of guys, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but it's just frustrating when you see Matt go out there today and throw one of those gems and not only not get a win for it, but come away with the loss for it. It just seems like the offense cannot get anything done. Now, granted, yes, he was facing a a very, very talented starting pitcher in his own right in Jose Fernandez, but you would really like to see this offense possibly start to get something going at some point, because really uh, people keep making the comparison to the May 2015 lineup and the June 2015 lineup. I'm not there yet. John Mayberry Jr. isn't hitting cleanup for this team, so we're definitely in better shape than we were. But right now, man, it just feels like there are innings where it just feels like all the wind is completely sucked out of this offense. Yeah, it's the, it's the bottom of the order now. I mean, it's certainly not as bad as it was a year ago when you have, you know, five guys, whether it's Conforto or Ligaris, Cespedes, uh, Granderson, as Dribble Cabrera and Neil Walker. Those are five major league hitters in your lineup every day. You know, obviously there's the, the day-to-day hip issue with Cespedes. Conforto's been something now for a little over a month. Um, you know, and Ligaris and Cabrera aren't amazing, but those are guys, they're five guys who you can put in whatever order you want, and the, the top of your lineup looks major league caliber, you know. But if you get past that, James Lonnie might be okay in terms of treading water, but that six, seven, eight really, you know, it, it, it's a very stark contrast from the top of the order to the bottom. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, the injuries, the injuries, let's face it. Travis Darno wasn't hitting when he was here anyway. And I don't know where we're at. That's a big problem that I know all catcher is not typically an offensive position to begin with, but with what you're currently getting from Pilecki, that's not major league caliber. That's not having a light-hitting catcher. That's having practically a no-hitting catcher. And at this point, I look at it and I say, you know, Rene Rivera, everybody's raving about how he calls a game. Everybody's saying that he's part of the reason why Matt Harvey's getting back on track. Like, we, we joke that there's probably going to be a fight in the locker room over who gets to claim him as their personal catcher. And he has actually hit a little bit. Not a lot, but he's hit more than Pilecki. I'm almost at the point now where I'm saying Johnny Monell down in Vegas 
can't be worse than Pilecki. Maybe the time has come to just get Pilecki back to Vegas, get him to the friendly confines of that stadium, hopefully let him rack up a bunch of hits, get that average sky high, maybe pop a few out, and just get the confidence back. And, and Monell can serve as the backup while uh, Rivera takes the starting catcher duties because it feels like every pitcher would want to throw to this guy right now. Yeah, I mean, with the with what Pilecki has done at the plate, I don't think that's really far-fetched. It might even make sense, like you said, uh, to help him get things going with the bat. You know, he, he's very, very, very far from the guy to give up on as a major league hitter and, and player going forward. But, you know, for a team that's trying to win right now, maybe Renee Rivera's defense and moderate ability at the plate, at least you have a catcher who, who you think, you know, can play on a regular basis and, and be less of a liability. You know, Pulecki, I, I was very frustrated with him in the Saturday afternoon game, um, I think, as we all were. And, you know, I finally felt bad for him in the process. You know, as, as much as you're frustrated with him that he, you know, doesn't realize the situation and misses a force hat at home plate, gets picked off on a play that you typically see in Little League, you know, I'm half, like, venting about how terrible he, he is in that game. And I also just, you know, like, man, that's this guy. He's a guy who's trying to prove himself and, and just failing miserably in this one game and, and, you know, not really hitting the ball well in general at all. Uh, yeah, I, I think Johnny Manel is a backup in the interim. Uh, it is a reasonable thing, even if it's only a week or two. And I, you know, I think you saw them do it. And I'm a big guy. I, I love Darno. You know, obviously his ability to stay on the field has been the the big issue. Uh, but I loved what he did as a hitter when he came back last year. Uh, and you know, before he got to that point, the Mets had to send him down to the minors, and it was only a brief stay. But it was an example of a, a guy who was young with a pedigree and. You know, they, it, it wasn't really working at the major league level, and they sent him back, and he wasn't there long, and he came back a much improved hitter. Uh, and, and it kind of stuck. Now, you know, it didn't prevent him from getting hurt, but it, it could be the sort of thing that like he needs. And, you know, hopefully Darnell gets back soon because the, the upgrade, even like the decent Travis Darnell experience at the plate is a big upgrade over – what Rivera and, and Polacki have done uh, as hitters. Yeah, you're right. That, that demotion for Travis really seemed to be exactly what he needed to, to kick him back up. And hopefully when, uh, when he does come back from this injury, and I know people are joking, if he'll be back, it just might take a little while. But when he does get back, hopefully this time off, and obviously he's going to have to play some rehab games somewhere at the minor league level, will, uh, will be the same kind of spark that he had last year when he uh, had his demotion. And you're right, if Flecki goes down, and, and a cu- even if it's only for a couple of weeks just to get his head straight, get his bat straight, it's probably the best thing in the be- best interest of the team because with these two guys, it's always been, well, which one's going to be the man? And I think right now, Mets fans are kind of looking side-eyed at each other like, wait a sec, are either of these guys? So we need to definitely start getting some production out of them. But one guy who we found out this week that we are not going to be getting any production from for a very long time, it sounds like, is David Wright. Uh, they announced the herniated disc. And when they announced that, I said, why are they waiting till tomorrow to put him on the DL? A herniated disc is not something you play through, but 
they were exercising all options on that and did eventually transfer David to the DL. We've seen a bunch of different potential timetables for David Wright, none of which look pre-All-Star game. Most of them are beyond. But when the, the news popped up, what were your thoughts and where do you sit today as you think about David Wright's career and what may be of it? I, I think I think I've probably remained one of the the high people on him in general. You know, coming into the season, pretty much any over under that people wanted to put out there, whether it was games played or you know production, whatever stat you want, you know, wanted to to point to. I I'm, I'm ever the optimist with him. I can't say that I was shocked, that, you know, that he's missing significant time. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out that it's injury. And, it's, you know, whether or not it's related to the stenosis, we don't really know. I'm not sure, you know, maybe his doctors will be able to make that determination. I'm not sure that they will. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's just if, he, if you had told me that the stenosis would have knocked him out for a month or two where he, he needed time off without playing in games, uh, I wouldn't have been shocked. But, but yeah, it's it's frustrating. Obviously, uh, being still the optimist on him, I guess that I am. I think he will be back. I think he will hit uh, when he when he returns. I hope it's in mid-August and not at the beginning of September. It's frustrating to see that the guy who you know signed a very team-friendly contract stuck around through some very bad years after the the very good ones. Uh, you know, has to deal with his own body doing what it's doing now, you know, when the team is legitimately good. Uh, you know, it, it, you have the pitching that they have, both in the rotation and the bullpen. The rest of the lineup is fairly complete. And, you know, here he is, the face of the franchise. He's been around, you know, seemingly forever. And, uh, and he has to deal with this stuff. So, it, you know, I, I really do feel bad for him in that regard. Uh, but I will I'll always hold out hope that there's, there's more to come, that, you know, that we haven't seen the last of David Wright. Um, and I, I think that's the case this year, you know. And maybe I'm being blindly optimistic, but <laughs> I don't know. It, it, for a guy that's been that good, I'm, I'm always willing to hold out hope. Yeah, I think it's it's surprising to a lot of people because I tend to skew a little on the glass half empty side of things when it comes to the Mets. It's just been beaten into me. But when it comes to David Wright, I think I'm I'm just such a big fan of David Wright and what he's done for this organization and how he really is the face of the franchise right now. I kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I always said all preseason, it is inevitable David Wright will land on the disabled list at some point this season. I just felt that way. I was hoping it was going to be more of the 15-day variety, not this, but I, I definitely felt it, the best thing that happened was this was announced uh, not three days earlier. Because three days earlier, Wright wasn't really hitting, and now all of a sudden he has three games where he homers in each of them. He's starting to show the power. People are getting optimistic. He does come back at mid-August. If it means he's playing three, four days a week, so be it. I just think this team is going to be a much better team with David Wright in the lineup than with David Wright 
out of the lineup. And I think it also helps to have David Wright around this team. He's that veteran leadership that you need when you've got a bunch of young guys who, who make up this team. But in the interim, the question now is, what does Sandy do? Because I don't know about you, I am not sold on Wilmer Flores as your everyday third baseman. Not from a defense perspective. I think he'll get it done averagely. I don't think he'll be above average. I think he'll be okay. You can live with him in the field. I just don't think that his bat is coming around to be that bat that you need to lengthen the bottom part of that lineup. So my question is, if you're Sandy Alderson, are there names you're thinking about? Or what, what move would you possibly like to see them make to maybe shore up third base? Yeah, it's, I would like to see them do something, which is <laughs> kind of vague. Uh, you know, you look around the league, I, there's not that surefire fit in terms of expiring contracts, bad teams. Um, you know, people have thrown a lot of names out there. I know, uh, you know, John, John Jarvis Colarte is one of the names. He's a decent player. He's had a very good start to his season for San Diego uh, for a bad team. They just traded away too much. So that's somebody, all right, that might be a good fit. But what if they buy that he is, you know, sort of this improved hitter? He's still making the league minimum or, or just above it. And then he's, you know, he's got three years of control left after this year. So that's not a guy that's just going to give away. Uh, but at the same time, that's not really a guy that I'm hoping the Mets are going to give up significant prospects for. So, but, I mean, that's just what you're looking at. Valencia, uh, maybe Martin Prado, varying degrees that because of the dual wild card format, you know, until a team really gives up, uh, they might not really make players available who, who might be good fits. So it's it's kind of a tough spot. You know, I'd like to see them go get somebody. It doesn't have to be anybody great. But with Flores, it's, it's not just playing third base every day, but it's, you know, what if they need him to play first base in a platoon sort of situation? Uh, if either James Loney is, untenable after a certain amount of time or, or just really can't play there against lefties, you know, it's kind of a tough spot to, to go. We're still at a point right now where we're, we're thinking about two months due to and right uh, all at the same time. Yeah. I'm, I'm more comfortable with the Lucas Duda injury right now, only because I'm really high on Loney. I think he is the exact hitter that the Mets needed in the lineup. You didn't need more power. You needed more consistency, and he provides that. The guy strikes out less than 100 times a year, although he did surprise us with that pop the other night, which was nice to see. I'm comfortable with him there. I don't see him ever going into one of the slumps that we've seen from some of our guys, be it a Curtis or a Sassidus, that they can occasionally fall into those lengthy slumps. So third base is really the position of my concern right now, and my question is, if the opportunity was to come up to get yourself, and I'm not even going to name the guy, I'm just going to say a third, your third baseman of, for good. This is a guy who's coming to you, and he's going to be your third baseman for the next four, five, six years, whatever. As long as you can still have David Wright on the team, but this is a guy you know, he is a sure shot, everyday third baseman for the next four years on your team. Are you willing to part with one of the quote, young studs in order to get that guy in some type of package? 
for me, no, not not for not if it's one of the you know not one of the major league pitchers, uh, which which I think is what you you're, you're including in young studs. Um, yep. Yeah, I I think probably not. I, that that's the thing. I'm not opposed to giving somebody up. Uh, you know, for, from the top end of the minor league system, even though it's not quite as deep as it was, I'm not. A, I'm I'm less opposed to that, but I don't necessarily think that Mets you the, the kind of guy who you could say is going to play third base regularly for several years. Um, you know, and then if you get in that sort of situation, you can figure out, you know, working in a rotation of guys at first and third and all that. Um, I mean, Wheeler still is the one who makes the most sense to give up only because, you know, the track record before the injury was good, but not outstanding. It, you know, it was it was encouraging, and I think there was a step forward that was going to happen for him. Um, you know, it, as long as everything goes smoothly with his rehab, I think he can come back and be a, a good pitcher. But obviously that's, you know, he's going to have the least value of any of those five guys. Um, so, yeah, I I probably I wouldn't give up anybody who's currently in the rotation. Uh, I think Bartolo has been better than expected in terms of results this year, which has been nice uh, and, and maybe opens things up to trading Wheeler if that comes up again this year. But, yeah, I'm, I'm too in love with the pitching. But the four guys who are there right now, for me, uh, they're, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. As much as I would love to see the Mets have that guy locked in at third base for a while, if the in, in the event David Wright doesn't ever come back to be an everyday player, I just I can't give up those studs because we saw it last year. We're, we're seeing it this year. The only reason the Mets are still in any type of contention this year is because of those aces, because the offense is definitely not carrying you anywhere right now the way this team is constructed. So and you saw the pitching essentially carry you through the World Series last year. Granted, they ran into a couple of buzzsaws in the Kansas City Royals who were, they were just kind of a freak of nature in the way that their offense was able to, to frustrate our starters, but those are the guys. I mean, last year we were still in contention in June with an offense that was rather pathetic as opposed to the offense that we're putting out there every day. So as much as that's a, a hole that Sandy Alderson is going to have to address eventually over at third, and he's probably going to have to address one at first eventually because I'm not completely sold on Lucas Duda as the everyday first baseman of the future. I, I just uh, – it would have been easier for me to give up one of those young studs while they were still prospects. But now that I've actually seen them with my own eyes, this is my heart talking over my head where these guys get out on the mound and they're just exciting to watch. You know, every night has the potential to be special. And I just don't think that you can really put a, a dollar amount on that and you can't really put – any type of risk of moving them in a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just too, it's too good of a situation to to mess with. And they're at a point where there isn't really an obvious major league starter to to step in. I, I like what Logan Verrett has given this team over the last calendar year or so. I think it was about a year ago that he first came up and made a few bullpen, uh, appearances, but, I am. I would not be comfortable with him plotting into the rotation every fifth day. Um, you know, if we if Wheeler came back and 
showed you something really, really encouraging in the middle of July, maybe, maybe that opens things up. Um, but I'm still, I'm still dreaming on, and I expect they'll use the six-man rotation for a little while, but I'm still dreaming on, you know, the five young, hard-throwing, outstanding pitchers uh, with Bartolo around as the occasional starter and, and, you know, whether you want to come long relief or throw him into, you know, more traditional relief roles that he did last year in, in the playoffs. Um, I'm dreaming on that. I think the only thing that might really push you in, in the direction of doing something drastic would be either another significant injury to the lineup, or, you know, somebody else who's, who's in there every day, or a medical update that says, either Duda or Wright is not coming back this season. Yeah, either of those scenarios play out. I agree with you. Then then the changes everything on the outlook of what Sandy would have to do rather immediately, I would feel, if, if that was announced, that those guys were done for the year. So as we're sitting here, though, it's the first weekend of June. The, the dog days of summer are about to be upon us. As you look at this team as a whole, you're optimistic about where they're at. You wish they were a little bit higher in the standings. What do you really want to see out of them as the summer progresses from here out? Uh, I think as long as they remain, you know, I, I prefer that they take over first place and, and stay there. Uh, but as long as they go to remain where they are, you know, that after today's results, they two games out of first. As long as they're within that sort of, you know, three or four games in first place, uh, you know, you don't want to go too long and, and have to come back and, and take it over in early August like they did last year. But, you know, I'm I'm not going to panic, to use our, our favorite word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> panic those, City. You know, <laughs> yes, I, 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 won't, I won't be visiting Panic City if they stay within that mix. And I think one thing that's important now, too, and they're about to go into the series with Pittsburgh, is the other wild card contenders. Like, that's not, that's not the goal for this Mets team. But the other wild card contenders playing that well. Like, that, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a good chance of getting that, even if the division doesn't work out. And that's not ultimately what I want. But if I had to pick a team to go into a, a one-game do-or-die with, you know, it's probably the one that could start somebody uh, having Noah Syndergaard come in relief of that person, you know, and really make it difficult for another team to win a one-game playoff against them. So, you know, that that's sort of the safety net. I don't want it to come to that. But, you know, the, the fact that that exists and when you look at teams like the Pirates and Cardinals and, and you know, Dodgers, they're all right there, too. You know, the Cubs are, are sort of far and above every, everybody else right now, but nobody else is on that level where you start to look and go, man, if they can't catch the Nationals, this team might not play a postseason game. You know, I, I don't feel that way right now. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous just because of the, you know, the injuries that they are being forced to deal with here. But hopefully that balances everything or hopefully the pitching staff balances that out. You know, it's so rare that any baseball team firing on all cylinders with everybody healthy and performing up to expectations at any given time over the course of the season. So, 
you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, if the pitching staff really carried them month and a half, uh, you know, that, that we can get really excited about. Yeah, I agree. And that's a great point that you bring up about the wild card. Whereas last year we said on the show a lot of times that the easiest route into the playoffs for us was probably winning the division last year, given the competitive nature of the wild card last year. I really don't feel that way this year. I agree where last year I was a little, I'm not going to lie. I was a little scared of the wild card just because of the talent of some of the teams, some of the number one starters who you could have been facing in that game. Whereas while it's not ideal if you make the wild card, if we were to get there, then uh, I wouldn't be bummed out that they have to play that game. And I would probably go into that game with a decent amount of confidence, just based on, like you said, how we can mix up our pitchers and really, really screw up some other uh, opposing lineups. So that is something to keep in mind as we, we start facing these dog days of summer, as we start getting into more of what will hopefully be a very heated pennant race still with lots of games to play against the nationals and it helps the Phillies are coming back down to, to earth as we knew that pace couldn't keep up. So hopefully they'll, uh, they'll be whipping dogs for the Mets for the remainder of the summer. But Chris, definitely want to thank you for hopping on with us tonight. For, for our listeners, where can they check out your work and where can they find you on uh, social media? Uh, so Twitter is just at Chris McShane. Uh, if you just go to Amazing Avenue, you'll, you'll see something I, I wrote. There's a pretty good chance you'll see something I wrote on on the front page somewhere. Um, but yeah, that those are those are the two spots at Chris McShane on Twitter, uh, on Amazing Avenue, and then for our podcast, uh, which typically goes up on Thursdays at this point, yeah, it's Amazing Avenue Audio. You can find it on iTunes, a variety of other places. But if you just go to the site, all of those places uh, in in our show notes on the site. So. Yeah, that, that's about it, and thanks again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, I said to you before we hopped on the air that I am a fan of, uh, of the podcast. I love what you guys do. I don't consider the Mets podcasting world to be in competition with each other. I feel like we're all one kind of big broadcast network, and let's face it, if you have the average listener downloading one podcast, they're more than likely to download multiple ones. So I really, uh, I really enjoy what you guys are doing over there. Keep up the good work, and uh, we will talk soon. All right, sounds good. Same to you. Take care. Take care, Chris. And there he goes. That's Chris from Amazing Avenue. If you haven't checked out their podcast yet, you definitely should give them a listen. It's a uh, it's a really it's a it's a much more unique take than you'll you'll get from a lot of different ones. They have a couple of really great guests on, and uh, I just enjoy everything that they do over there. So I highly recommend them that you, you check them out. And of course, their site AmazingAvenue.com, dot uh, com always great articles i'm kind of looking at them right now as uh as some other sites have, have shifted their formats have maybe changed their philosophies i kind of looked at uh, amazing avenue as pretty much the, the go-to of the the mets blogosphere so i don't hesitate to say that for you guys we will be back next sunday night uh jb will be back hopefully we'll even uh find ryan sailing out there somewhere in the, the great united states and uh we'll be on we'll have a couple of uh series to talk about at that point hopefully we'll have some injury updates i know we're going to hopefully be hearing more about travis darno's rehab in the coming week so at that point hopefully we'll be able to talk some positive news as all the news of today unfortunately from the injury front had not been good 
But hopefully we have some better stuff to talk about next Sunday on the injury front. Hopefully we have a bunch more wins to talk about because, hey, we, let's all forget the fact that despite, despite how bad today's game was, it was, in fact, a series win down in Miami, and that's what you got to do. Beat up those lowly teams in our division, and the Nets did just that this weekend. So, to me, that's a pretty happy recap, and this has been a pretty happy recap episode. We'll talk to you all next Sunday night.